Stories are the language of leaders. Those stories become even more important when times are difficult. On this episode, David Hutchins returns to teach us three stories to tell in the midst of uncertainty. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 486. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Most of us have heard about the importance of leaders being able to tell stories. How does that change, though, in the midst of a crisis? Today, we're going to look at how we tell stories during a time of uncertainty. And I am so glad to have back on the show today, David Hutchins. David helps leaders find and tell their stories. Stephen M.R. Covey says, David has the ability to convey key messages in a way that is both simple and profound. He has taught the storytelling leader program all over the world at some of the most influential organizations, and he's written many books, including most recently, The Circle of the Nine Muses and The Leadership Story Deck. He's been with us twice before here on the podcast and works also with longtime guest and friend of the show, Susan Gerke, on their Go Team program. David, I am so glad to have you back with us. Dave, it is always such a pleasure to hang out with you and to talk and to learn and to explore together. Thank you. We're all learning together during this time, aren't Absolutely. we? Yeah. Yes. It's quite an adventure, both you know, with new opportunities, but also a lot of challenges that we find ourselves in. And of course, storytelling becomes even more important, perhaps, during a time like this. And I'm curious to start off with, what's important about storytelling during a time of uncertainty or crisis? Yeah, so I, I always say that this work is about creating engagement and belief so that people will act. And I, I use those terms intentionally, engagement and belief. I mean, this, those are very human experiences. And, and this work is acknowledging that there is an emotional system in the organization. The organization is first an emotional system. You know, leaders keep treating it like it's a, a rational system and keep feeding, feeding more data. But especially now we're in this age where uncertainty is the new test for 21st century leadership. More and more people are in chaos or they're experiencing anxiety and they're saying, what is happening? And how am I supposed to show up? And what, what do I do with this anxiety that I have? And, and what's next when we can't see what's coming next? And leader, what do you want us to do? And so this is a time to engage the, the human system, the emotional system, and story is the language of the emotional system. So now is a time better than ever to begin telling some, some strategic stories. So there's an element here of leaning into the natural thing we tend to do in conversations anyway, and now putting a bit of a lens of curation, if you will, on it. And what is the right kind of story to be telling right now, especially when we think about it from an organizational perspective? And you have uh, taken the gracious step to help us to identify three of those and really look into that in detail. And I think this will be helpful for all of us who do have a bit of that deer in headlights feeling of where can we start? And what does it look like? What are the three and where should we start? 
When we talk about uncertainty, whether it's pandemic or some other chapter of uncertainty in your organizational story, there are three stories that we should be finding and telling. And where this comes from is a construct from a, a theorist named David Cooper Ryder. And your, many of your listeners may know Cooper Ryder as the, the theorist behind appreciative inquiry. Oh, and yes. So in this body of knowledge that's appreciative inquiry, Cooper Ryder shows that all organizational systems have three core needs that leaders must engage. And those three needs are around continuity, novelty, and transition. Continuity, novelty, and transition. And during an age of uncertainty, these needs become even more urgent. And then the stories we tell about them are what bring them to life. Where should we start? Continuity? Let's go in that order. Absolutely. So continuity is here as a leader, you're managing core principles and values and identity. And as leaders, this is where, where we want to minimize disruption. Don't mess with who we are. People don't like it when you start messing with identity. So that's the first need is the need for continuity. So continuity is the thing that doesn't change. It is in the midst of a crisis, uncertainty, insert word here, it is the thing that stays the same, and it's the who the organization is, the, the why behind what we do. So everything's up in the air, right? We, we don't know what's coming next. The, the mission even changes. What, you know, the, the process has changed. So people are looking for what's the thing we can lean on? What's the thing that's not going to change? And you said it's, it, it's identity. Yeah, it might be identity. It might be values. It might be founding principles. But people need this anchor even as everything else is in flux, remind me of the stuff that's going to form a, you know, the, this membrane of identity that we can count on. So first is continuity stories. What's an example of a continuity story that an organization would tell or a leader would tell? All right. So everything's going crazy in the world, right? I'm anxious. I'm scrambling. I'm looking to you, the leader. You know, give me something I can lean on. And one organization, Dave, that, that's really good at this, this thing we're talking about of, you know, creating identity through story is Patagonia, the outdoor clothing and gear company. They do this. They tell stories to manage identity. So he, here's a story that everyone inside Patagonia has heard. And they, it's one of those stories that they still kind of bring out and tell it again when they're facing uncertainty. So even if your listeners have heard this story, listen to how I tell this. So, so let's say we're inside Patagonia. You know, he, here at Patagonia, we really started back in the 1950s. That's when our CEO, you know, Yvonne Chouinard, he was in his 20s then. And he was a self-taught rock climber. He was one of the best in the world. And he spent his, his youth scaling the cliffs of Yosemite. Well, Yvonne wanted a better way to scale the rocks. And so he went out and he, he bought himself an old coal-fired forge and an anvil, and he taught himself how to blacksmith, and he began forging these little steel pegs called patons. That, that's French for little pegs. And so it's these, little, these pegs with a hole at the end, and you take a hammer, and as you're going up the face of the cliff, you, you hammer these into the, the rock, and you run a rope through them, and now your life is dangling from these little steel pegs in the side of the cliff. And word got around, and he began selling his patone for about $1.50 a piece. 
And by the year 1970, Yvonne and his business were worth millions of dollars. But this success caused a problem here at Patagonia. And that was soon there were countless patones and rock faces around the world. And this constant hammering and removal of these steel pegs was causing cracks in the rocks. And the beloved cliff faces of Yosemite and elsewhere were becoming disfigured. And Yvonne was, was grieved by this. And he said to his team, we have become environmental villains. And so he made a radical decision. He, he stopped making patones. He, he discontinued the product that built his business. But Avon was an innovator and he did what innovators always do. That is, he brought something new, a new product, these little wedges called chocks that you could wedge into a crack without hammering them in. And gravity holds them in place and your body weight holds them in place. And then you remove them as you scale the cliff without causing damage. And they were an instant hit and the company's growth skyrocketed. And, and, and listen to this part of the story. This part is important. You know, here today at Patagonia, we're facing some tough times, but that's nothing new for us. From the very beginning, we have known how to innovate when there's uncertainty. And today, as we make hard choices, our love for our planet Earth will always be at the front of those decisions. And that's one thing that will never change. It's a beautiful story. And most of the last few minutes was telling the story. And then at the end, it changed. You said, this is the part to listen for. What's the part at the end? What's critical about what you said there? Yeah, so I did this thing where I, I took you know, a full two minutes. I, I wasn't timing it. Minute and a half, two minutes. You know, that's a long time in, in business communication because instead of simply saying, you know, we have this value and you can count on the value to never change. Instead, by telling a story, by bringing in these story elements, it creates this different kind of engagement. Now I don't even have to say, hey, go to the company website and look at our values. The story becomes the proof point where we feel it. You know, we, we feel it in our emotions and we hold it in our bodies. And you're right, Dave, that piece at the end is really important. Because when I work with leaders, we spend most of the time there. If you do a sloppy job telling the story, that's okay. I want to make sure we get that connection at the end where we say to our team or to our market or our organization, there's a reason I told you this story. I think this story says something. And and you have to tell people what that is. You, you have to use your language to make that real because they're, they're not going to come to that conclusion. You have to connect this living, breathing thing that is a story to this abstract idea. We're going to lean on our values and you can count on that to not change. Well, when we connect that with our language to the story, now we feel that. We know what it feels like and it becomes real and alive. So you're right. That final piece is really important. When you're working with leaders to help them to identify a continuity story. What is helpful on uncovering it? So there's lots of different kinds of continuity stories. The one I just told you, we would probably call an origin story. That is the thing that was true at the beginning, right? These, these are really powerful, the origin stories. And it doesn't have to be the beginning of the organization. It can be the beginning of your tenure with this team, or it can be the beginning of a project. But the origin story is, tell me about something that was true when we started, that was built into our DNA. And these are really powerful. So that's one is the origin story. Here's another one, a value story. 
tell me about a time we stuck to our values, even though it came with the cost. I mean, technically, the Patagonia story also works as a value story. Not, you know, the categories overlap here, but that was a value story. We took a tough stand. We believe in our founding principles more than we believe in money, right? What a powerful statement to make. So tell me about a time we stuck to our values, even though it came with the cost. Or here's another one. Tell me about a time when we were at our best. These are continuity and identity stories. When we are doing what we do around here and we do it really well, here's what it looks like. Let me tell you about this team that did something incredible. And that kind of excellence will continue to show up even as we move through this world of uncertainty. So those are a few examples of continuity stories. And as I think about those three different types of ways to go about finding the story, I think almost every leader can find at least one of those to begin uh, exploring the continuity story. Such, such, a, such a powerful way to dive in on it. The other one you mentioned was the novelty story. Tell me about that. Right. So we had continuity, novelty, transition. Novelty. All right. This is the new. And I said in continuity, you're minimizing disruption. Well, novelty, no, this is a place for stirring things up. You, you can be disruptive here. Here are the leaders managing curiosity or how people dream. Here we're, we're challenging the way we do things around here. So we're in this age of uncertainty and we're, we're, we're going to use this. We're, we're going to bring in the new because this is the source of innovation. And once again, we're going to tell some stories about this because the stories are what humanize the message and activate the team. So we're looking for our stories of novelty and stories of the new. Okay, so what would a novelty story sound like? All right, so here's an example. This one actually comes from a colleague of mine, a guy named Steve Denning. And uh, Steve Denning was with World Bank. For, for years during the 1990s and early 2000s. And, and Steve was at the, the forefront of this movement that we now know as knowledge management. And Steve was an early proponent of knowledge management. And he went around the world in World Bank trying to create traction and enthusiasm for this new idea. And everywhere he went to make a presentation, it just kind of fell flat. He, he couldn't drum up any support for building knowledge management within World Bank. And so Steve says one day, he, you know, he's getting frustrated, and he stepped up on a stage in front of another World Bank audience, and he did something different in this presentation. And this time, Steve told a story. And th this is the story that Steve told. And he, I'm reading from Steve's book, the classic called The Springboard, How Storytelling Ignites Action in Knowledge-Era Organizations by Steve Denning. Here's the story he told to, to the audience. Listen to this and tell me what you notice about this. He said, in June of last year, a health worker in a tiny town in Zambia went to the websites of the Centers for Disease Control, and he got an answer to a question about the treatment of malaria. And remember that this was in Zambia, one of the poorest countries in the world. But the most striking thing about this picture, at least for us, is that our company, World Bank, isn't in it. Despite our know-how on all kinds of poverty-related issues, that knowledge isn't available to the millions of people who could use it. Imagine if it were. Think what an organization we could become. Hmm. And that was the story. And, and Steve said after that presentation, for the first time, people rushed the stage. 
and okay. said, why don't we have this capability? And so it was this, this simple story, he call, refers to it as the Zambia story, was the spark for transformation within World Bank. And in fact, Steve left World Bank specifically so he could study, what was it about that story that, that caused revolution within my system? And so now he's one of the really smart thinkers in this space that is organizational now. But that was a story of, of the new, right? He had to reach outside the organization. We don't have this capability. Let me reach into a poor village in Zambia. What if we had this? Imagine what we could do. Isn't that fascinating? And that was the source of change. It is really fascinating. And when I think about that story and noticing what is there and isn't there, what isn't there is what the organization being part of it. So it was a story about the absence of us as an organization in a place where wouldn't it be cool if we were present there? So it's almost the exact opposite of the continuity story. This is the the absence of us, or us being present there. Yeah, you're, you, you've picked up on something really interesting about these vision and novelty stories, which is that they're about the future and the future hasn't happened yet. How do you tell a story about something that hasn't happened yet? Well, in leadership, often we have to reach outside of the organization. You know, that this story was kind of metaphorical, right? Let's look at a world very different from ours to pull some insight out of it. So very often you have to reach outside of your world and then hold that up in front of your team and say, look at this. We don't have this. Imagine if we did. So that's one way to tell the novelty story. That's not the only way, but that's one possible way. To I'm curious on the other ways too, but before we go there, the work of leadership, of course, is casting a vision. It's something that's central to what leaders do. And it's also something that we really shouldn't delegate, even though there's a lot as leaders we should be delegating. This is not something mostly to delegate. It's so important for us to tell that story. And like you said, it's really hard when you're painting a picture of something that hasn't happened. What works for people to begin to step into that space of starting to see the picture of what hasn't happened? So the, the thing that I'm advocating for is that we actually tell it as a story. Because, you know, I, I even get lots of calls from people who say, hey, we, we know you do story work. Could you help us with our elevator pitch? Well, an, an elevator pitch is different. I mean, it's, it's a good thing to have to, to have your value proposition in a really efficient form that you can tell it. But, but what I'm talking about is a story. And so what I'm challenging leaders to do is communicate it in a different way because an elevator pitch and a value proposition are in your brain. When you tell me that information, I, like, I feel myself in my brain going, oh, interesting. Okay, well, yeah, that's, that's a good mission statement. Oh, that's a good vision. And I'm in my brain. But then when you tell me a story, if you, if you practice self-awareness, you actually feel it move in your body down into almost wherever your emotion lives, you know, in your chest or somewhere down in your body. And so I'm challenging leaders, find the story where there's a, a character in it and a challenge that has to be overcome and a conflict that makes the audience go, oh my gosh, what are you going to do about that? You know, that's what moves us out of our brain down into our center of empathy and emotion. So now we're engaging in a very different way than we are with the elevator pitch. It's story, it's empathy, it's emotion, it's connection. And this is what moves people forward. Yeah, and I, I know that this comes easy for some people, and for other people, they hear words like em empathy and emotion, and even a word like character, and they think, 
oh gosh, I'm putting on a performance. And, and as you said early on in this conversation, this isn't about putting on a performance, right? I love that you always teach that, by the way. And yet I think sometimes people just don't know where to begin. And when you see someone who is in that place where they feel like they have to put on a performance or they're maybe they're caught up in the emotion, the empathy piece of it, what do they do that gets them moving a bit towards seeing that and, and taking the first step? So I come up against this challenge a lot. A lot of the work that I do is is across Europe and Asia, and especially with my European clients, and especially in France and in Germany. I work with a lot of technology leaders across France and Germany, and they're very stoic. You know, e- even in this conversation, you hear me being kind of emotional. You know, I, I tend to emote a lot, and, and they all go, well, Dave, we, we don't want to sound like an emotional American like you. <laughs> how, how do we do this? And even if you're a German technology leader, if you're with a, a leader, a boss or a client who says, tell me the progress on the work, you don't have to jump into data. You, in your own voice, if you do this right, it just sounds like you're talking. Well, you know, as I was with one of our clients yesterday, and we came up against a challenge and we weren't sure what to do about it. And, and here's what we did. See, that's still story language. That's still that's still narrative that is more engaging than putting a PowerPoint slide up against the wall. And it's a better conversation. And it doesn't sound like you're using a device. It just sounds like you're talking about things that happened. What I'm saying is let's be a little more intentional about how we find these narrative assets, these stories that have value to them and connect them to the most important work that's going on. And so when I, when I tell my German and French leaders that they go, Oh, well, yeah, I, I can do that. And I say, okay, good. Let's get to work. Let's try it. So the imagining the future and the what's not here yet, one way to enter that. And you said a moment ago that there's another way to enter the novelty story too. What's what's the other way to come about it? Oh man, there, there, there's lots of ways to do this. All right, here's another one. So I, my first example was it hasn't happened here yet. So we had to reach outside of the organization or get metaphorical. The other way is Within the system, there are pockets of innovation, or there are individuals who are showing different behaviors. You know, there's the the Harvard project around positive deviance, the outlying behaviors that are positive that if more people would adopt them, that they could be beneficial to the system. So there's the positive deviance stories. Tell me about a time you saw someone do something original. Or tell me about a time a team surprised you with their creativity. What happened? And we tell that story of, oh, there's, there's one team that I know about. You know, it's Raj's team over in Denver. They did something really amazing. It was kind of countercultural. It's not how we do things around here. But let me tell you about what Raj did and, and, and the results they got. And you tell that story. And then imagine if everyone around here showed that kind of creativity and spontaneity in their thinking. Imagine what could happen, right? So now we're fine. It's, it's kind of an us at our best story. It's the behavior we wish we would see more of in the system story. Uh-huh. Find that story and then say, we need more of that because that's part of this new identity that we're stepping into. So that's another way to tell a novelty story. We've had a bunch of conversations on the show recently on innovation. And one of the consistent messages we hear from the experts on innovation is looking inside the organization and even at the edges of the organization and to find you know what is new and what is maybe not bubbling up in the larger culture but and I'm, I'm hearing you make that invitation too that if you're 
not able to, or for whatever reason, you're not going down the path of imagining the new future. Another way about this is to go look at what is already happening in the organization and start to surface some of those stories so that you can engage in the novelty that way. Right on. And, and then building on that, that well, you, you just made me think of yet another type of innovation story. I call it the bridge to innovation. And that's where you say, here's how we came up with something new by applying something that we had previously used in a different context. So here's a solution that we're, we brought to one of our healthcare clients. And you know what's interesting? We, we actually developed this originally for the financial sector, for banking. And we looked at this solution that worked so well in banking. And, and one of our team members, Janet, said, well, what if we took that same solution and brought it to healthcare? And at first we said, no, healthcare is totally different. But then we started looking at it and said, wait a minute, you're on, right? So it's, it's a discovery story. And it's actually true to how most innovation happens, which is just an iteration of something that we did before. And people love these stories of we took something from one context and applied it in a new way because it's, it's really a process story. You, we get to see the, the team thinking. And we get to see the team being smart and ingenious and applying old solutions in new ways. So that's the bridge to innovation story. So that's yet another way to tell a story of this. Fabulous. Let's look at the third one, the transition story. What are the key elements of transition? So transition is journey. This is here the leader is managing the shared story. And here we're celebrating the progress that we're making. And this is we're all in this together. And so this is this is where we live most of the time, right? If if continuity is behind us, that's the stuff that's never going to change. You know, that's that's the underpinning and novelty is ahead of us, that's the new. Well, we're constantly between those two states. And numerically, I think these are the stories we should be telling the most. And my sense from the leaders I work with is that they're telling these stories perhaps the least. You know, everybody goes to novelty first because we like the new. As leaders, that's where we live. But transition is, these are change stories. And these are learning stories. These are the stories that say, we need to do something different. We have to get from here to there. And there's lots of different ways of telling these stories. What does a transition story sound like? So I'll just give you a few examples. So one is, I call it the, our failure is an asset story. And by the way, when I talk about these story types, I've gathered all these together into a product. It's a, it's a deck of cards called the leadership story deck. It, it's got dozens of stories that leaders can, can start telling right now. And so these are all examples that are in that product, the leadership story deck. But one is called uh, Our Failure is an Asset. And th this is one of the litmus tests of organizations that innovate is, is it safe to tell these stories? And so these are the stories that say, hey, we tried something and here's what we did and we didn't get the results that we expected. And it was hard because it cost us some money or it cost some time or some resources. You know, we, we made an investment in that. But and the key to telling these failure stories is, but now we know something we didn't know before. And let me tell you what that thing is. And so now you've taken this failure, which was had a cost to it, and now we've turned it into a knowledge asset, which has value to it. So now it's not a sunk cost. And again, the trick is to tell it as a story, to bring in all those story elements, you know, make it, make it be about somebody. We're interested in people and the things that happen to people and the conflict and the emotional part of it. So bring in all those story elements. And now we have moved the team forward by telling this story about now we know. 
So that's one example. You said a moment ago that this is perhaps the least told of the three, but maybe the one that needs to be told the most. What is so important about transition stories? So my background is in organizational learning. And so I, you know, I, I bring this perspective to everything that I do that our, our ability to learn and then unlearn and relearn is the 21st century competency. And that's not my thought. I, I didn't make that up. But it's, it's very much true. And so I bring that perspective to all the leadership work that, that I'm doing. It, it, it doesn't matter what the new is if we can't expand our repertoire of behaviors that allow us to collectively embrace the new. So telling these stories of behavior change is at the heart of everything, right? So it's really, it's demonstrating to the organization, the people listening to the story, that we are willing to learn. We're willing to change and make transition to stay true to our values, like we talked about in continuity, explore the new, as we talked about novelty. And it's it's more the process for getting there and highlighting the fact that this is this is a necessary part of it, if I'm hearing you right. These are you're right. These are very processy kinds of stories. Hey, let's look at what's happening, look at what we're doing right now, and then and then name that and call attention to that, bring people's attention to it, because that is how we learn. Another change story or transition story is that I call it the Eureka story, the moment of inspiration. These are very processy. And so here, these are fun stories. Leader, I think leaders miss this opportunity. These are the stories that allow people to see us thinking and solving problems. And the trick is to tell it like you might tell a mystery story, right? There, there's a reason why here in the United States, you know, Law and Order and, and CSI and NCIS, you know, these cop shows are on TV for 20 years. We can't get enough of these stories. And so the Eureka story says, you know, we, we had a challenge here, and here's what the challenge was, and we, we couldn't figure out how to solve it. We were stuck, and so we tried something, and, and that didn't work, and then we tried something else, and man, that didn't work either, and, and you can even have fun with this and invite the audience in. What, what would you have done? Well, yeah, we thought of that. We, we tried that too, and that didn't work either, and then that's when one member of our team, Jerry, said, hey, how about if we try it like this? And we couldn't believe how elegant the solution was. And that's how we got to this, this brilliant new offering that we have. It's because of team members like Jerry who are able to solve tough problems, right? So, so now, instead of just showing somebody the innovation, the new, you've shown us the process of here's all the work that we did to get there. So it, it's a mystery story mm. that allows us to see us thinking. Fascinating. Thinking about these three stories you've taught us now, continuity, novelty, transition, and now the situation of uncertainty that so many organizations find themselves in, what are the things to consider to then determine where you go as far as do you tell a novelty story? Do you tell a transition story? Is it telling all of them or is there different directions to go depending on different contexts and situations? Yeah, so so this part of the process may not necessarily be linear. <laughs> so if you if you like linear process, if you're in in coding, this might be the part that drives you crazy. But because it really is start anywhere, you know, it, it's story is is a social construct. It exists between people, and so it's situational. It depends on the dialogue that we're in. But very often, what I will do next with teams or 
if one of your audience members is listening to this conversation and they're going, wow, my, my head is swimming now. That's a lot of stories. Uh, I don't know where to start. I would say, let's start with some story mining. And in mining, we say, you know, let, let's start finding the stories that you have that may not have occurred to you yet. And it can be very exercisey. I even have a worksheet of, here's some questions to ask yourself to begin identifying some of these story assets that you have and start writing them down. And I even say, don't worry yet about how you write the story. Just give the story a title. You know, the, the Zambia World Bank story, the time we saved the big account in Phoenix. You know, just give it a title. And this is a reminder of to go back and revisit the story of continuity or novelty or transition. So now when the time comes to tell it, you're ready to tell it. And so for your listeners, if they're interested, I'm happy to share with them a resource sheet to help them begin finding some of their narrative assets. Yeah, you have been super gracious on putting together some materials for us. So two invitations I'd like to make to everyone. So one of them is the leadership story deck that you mentioned earlier. It is in our household as a tool for storytelling. And that is a wonderful resource to begin some of these prompts. So we're going to link to that in the notes and the weekly guide this week. The other is that you've been very kind to put together a guide just to be helpful to our audience, David. So thank you for doing that. And um, I think you said the best way for folks to engage with you is actually just to send an email and to reach out personally. And you'd be happy to send over the guide with some resources and and that'd be a good place to start. So if folks do that, we'll put it all, of course, in the links this week too. But what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, just send an email. My email address is david at davidhutchins.com. And Hutchins is spelled with an E-N-S, not an I-N-S. And uh, in the subject line, say, I heard you on Coaching for Leaders and um, send me the resource. And if you want to say hello, you're welcome to do so, but I'll hit reply and I'll drop it in the message. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you doing that. David and I had talked before this conversation. I said, do you want to put it up on a, on a website somewhere to make it easier on you? And he said, no, actually, I love having conversations with people. So thank you so much for that gift you've given all of us. Um, so we'll link all of that up in the episode notes. David, before I let you go, as you know, of course, leaders are learning. They are exploring new avenues, as we've talked about in this conversation, and sometimes they're changing their minds. As you reflect on the last year or two in your professional work, what have you changed your mind on? So an area of growing awareness for me, and, and in fact, my business is even leaning this way, is you know I, I get a lot of calls around storytelling for influence. And there's this sense that my customers have that, oh, if I tell a story, I can get people to do something. Right, and the answer is yeah. You know, it's 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 highly persuasive, and there is some rich conversation there. But I think that there's bigger opportunity here for for narrative work. And more and more, I'm interested in how story brings together dismembered parts of the system and remembering the parts of the system. And this can be true in societal change, or in areas of the organization that aren't communicating. Or can even be connecting parts of the system that are that are you and your identity, you know, connecting head, heart, and spirit. I mean, story does this. Story brings the pieces back together. Story creates wholeness. And more and more, I'm interested in these applications of narrative, not just for influence and in, in selling more product or 
you know, engaging the team around the strategy, but around creating wholeness, healing, and connection all across the system. So that's kind of how my awareness has been changing recently. And such an important message for us all to hear right now. David, thank you so much for your wisdom on these frameworks. And thank you especially for all you've done over the years to support our audience. I'm so grateful for it. I am grateful for your friendship and your collaboration. And thank you so much, Dave. several related episodes. If you'd like to dive in more on storytelling, one of them is episode 51, How Storytelling Helps You Lead with my friend Sandy Morgan. Sandy is the director of the Global Center for Women and Justice and also was recently appointed by the White House as co-chair of the Public-Private Partnership Advisory Council to End Human Trafficking. She's an expert on the issue, and Sandy and I have been co-hosting the Ending Human Trafficking podcast for almost a decade now. Sandy is a masterful storyteller and just has some wonderful advice for us and stories to tell in episode 51. That's a great starting point for you. I'd also recommend the last two episodes that David appeared on, the four critical stories leaders need for influence, also with David on episode 148. That is a great framework for different frameworks than we talked about today that can be used almost any time and so important even now too, even in the midst of uncertainty. Episode 148 is where you can dive in on those four key frameworks. Also helpful from David is episode 228, practical storytelling that isn't awkward. One of the things David and I have discussed before is the tendency a lot of us feel when we are telling stories to get dramatic or feel like we have to jump into a different persona. And in fact, uh, the best thing we can do is just to be ourselves and to tell stories just like we do in our everyday relationships, but perhaps to do it with a bit more intention. And we dive into the philosophy behind that in detail on episode 228. All of those episodes you can find under the storytelling file inside the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't yet set up your free membership, you can do so at coachingforleaders.com. And when you dive in on the membership and have that set up, you'll be able to search all of the past episodes since 2011 by topic. Storytelling is one of those topics as well as many more. When you set up your free membership, you'll also get access to my weekly leadership guides that come every Wednesday to you with links and notes from every episode, plus my book notes for many of the interviews, the member cast, a ton of free courses online on the website, lots of access completely for free. Go over to coachingforleaders.com to set up your membership. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Ambassador Elizabeth Cousins to the show. She's the CEO of the United Nations Foundation. She's going to be talking to us about saying yes to big challenges. Join me for that next Monday. Have a fabulous week and see you in a week. Take care.